Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, and they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon the Tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this good word this morning. It's right and true and timely for us. And we ask that, Lord, you would meet us where we're at, that every person in here, Lord, would leave this place with a very concrete demonstration of your love, that your word was for them, that your heart is for them, and that your heart is for their world, your world. So come close, Lord, and speak through a broken vessel that you are making whole, that all of us who are broken might find that same shalom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I missed you last week. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I, I was expecting a little bit more of a response than that. A couple of you missed me. I appreciate that. I'm going away again. Longer. I missed you last week, but I was with family. We were with the Robinsons down in Florida, who are part of our All Souls family, who are down there and representing even this morning. So John and Angela, we love you guys. Thank you for having us. And uh, it was a sweet, sweet time. But I want you to know, I was watching. We were watching, and it was actually wonderful to see, because, you know, when you're, when you're live, you experience the Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways, and you're like, I wonder what it's like online, and I can tell you that while it's not quite the same, my goodness, the Spirit moves even through the internet, and we rejoice in that, amen? So we had a wonderful time. It was delicious. This is Brazilian barbecue. Eat your hearts out. It was absolutely scrumptious. It was a restful time, super relaxing. We rented a boat and went up and down the intercoastal. It was wonderful. But I got to tell you, it wasn't without its disappointments. 
Because you see, after we rented this boat, we, Angela had this restaurant that she wanted us to go to that was wide open right on the intercoastal. It's going to be a beautiful spot. And we show up there, and, and the doors are open. We're like, yeah, we can't wait to go in. And they literally closed the gate right in front of us. We're like, it, it was, I, I want to say it was like 3.45. They're like, we don't open till 4. Grr, boom. We're like, uh, okay. So instead, we decide that we're going to go back to a restaurant that we had passed on the way there. And we realized as soon as we walked in there, this is a picture of it, by the way, that God had several appointments for us while we were there. You see, we, we went to the restaurant we thought we wanted to go to and that we thought, okay, we're going to have a great time. But God redirected us. He said no to give us a very different yes. And when we're in there, it was the guy who rented us the boat. We had an incredible time connecting with him, and we're praying for that connection to continue to go on. And it was our waitress. We had an incredible connection with her, praying for that relationship to continue to go on with John and Angela. And yet the one relationship that was the one I want to share with you was with a woman named Deborah. And I want you to hold on to that name because I'm going to ask you to pray for her with me. Deborah is her name. Deborah was a short, older lady with colorful hair. Um, who as soon as we walked in, I knew God had something for her. I felt it in my soul. So I waited and I prayed and I said, Lord, what do you want? What's going on here? And as the, the, the time went on, we didn't interact with her. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I just had a bad burrito or something. I don't know. Like maybe, right? But, but then all of a sudden, she comes over to our table and we start connecting with her. And she starts telling us her story. She's a retired police officer from Massachusetts who takes care of her sister who has disabilities back up in Massachusetts and flies down back and forth between. And all of the proceeds that she makes from this job, she gives away to help pets, animals. And she says, I'm a breast cancer survivor, but it's come back. And we say to her, we'd love to pray for you. And like it sometimes happens, I think that wigged her out and she walked away. <laughs> oh, that's nice, thank you. And she walked away, right? And that's okay, friends. When that happens, that's okay. So we prayed anyway. And as we prayed, the Lord gave me a very specific word for her. He said, go tell her that her mother is proud of her. Now listen, I don't know this person from Eve. Oh my God, are you sure you want me to say this to her? Go tell her that her mother is proud of her. So I get up. And I go up to her, I said, listen, you don't know me at all. We just prayed for you. And I think God wants me to tell you that your mother's proud of you. And she starts to cry. And she says, you don't know how much that means to me. And she walks away again. <laughs> Why am I sharing this story with you? One, because I want you to pray with me for Deborah. Do you remember her name? Deborah, because God's doing something in her, for her, and through her. But secondly, I'm sharing this story because it is a little example of last weekend how God gave us a merciful no in order to make room for a better yes. A merciful no that at the moment you don't receive as merciful, they shut the door in front of us, right on us, the gate, they shut it. You don't receive it as merciful. You miss it in the moment. But when you actually see why, all of a sudden you, you taste the heart of God. You experience his love. 
and his purpose in redirection. This morning, we're continuing in our sermon series through the book of Acts that's all about this movement of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been around, you know that simply this is it, right? The book of Acts is the Spirit of God for the mission of God. The Spirit of God for the mission of God. And the mission of God is something we're going to unpack today. So if that's language you're not familiar with, get ready. We're going to to go there. But this spirit of God, how many of you have seen in the news what's going on at Asbury University right now? Yeah. They call that revival, friends. And revival happens when a bunch of people surrender to Jesus. Say, Lord, whatever you have for us, we're here. Our time, our talents, our treasure, our hearts, all the things we thought we had to hold on to, we're here, whatever you have. And they started a worship service, and it's been going on for like 11 days. It hasn't stopped day or night. And one of the, the, the telltale signs of revival is simply this. It doesn't stay there. It's spreading to other universities. I'm praying it goes to Karen. I'm praying it goes to every college around our country. Could you imagine our college students on fire for Jesus, a revival that turns into what the theologians call a what? An awakening that changes culture. Friends, let's continue to pray for that because that's exactly what the mission of God is all about. The spirit of God for the mission of God. And you might have read this when we talked about last week, no one is impossible for God to change. When I first read that, even back to myself, I, I thought, oh, did I mean to say nothing is impossible? No, no one. Because the story of Acts to date is a story of, please listen, people who thought they were right and were self-righteous and missed Jesus, but Jesus still came for them. It's the story of people who thought they were left out because of their place of birth or past actions and Jesus still came for them and it's a story of God sending his people to go find the very same people the same kinds of people the hopeless the helpless the self-righteous and to watch as the love of God melts them and makes them new this is our God it's what he does it's what he's calling us to be a part of The book of Acts, we're studying it as if it was a book that happened 2,000 years ago, and there's a a part of that that's true. But the book of Acts is true today. We are living the book of Acts. This is the church age. And so when when we read about things in here, if you've not seen these things happen in your own life, keep coming. And let's watch what God will do. This morning, here's our theme. Miracles are the means of mission. And three points to unpack it, why miracles are not automatic, why miracles still occur, and what miracle is God doing in your life. So first, why miracles are not automatic. Realize that what's happening in our passage is exactly what Jesus promised would happen when he said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When you look at Lydda and Joppa, those two places are what are called Judea. So the gospel is spreading just as Jesus promised. And you remember how it spread? Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses. And Acts 8.1 says, persecution broke out in the church. And as they were put in prison, killed, and there was much bloodshed, 
the disciples scattered. Not how we would write the story, is it? And yet, you see even from the beginning the way that God redeems our suffering. Do you, do you see that? Some of you here this morning are struggling to believe that he's gonna do that for you. And I want you to know that your story's in this book. That's why he's brought you here this morning. So when we're talking about miracles, in our passage we see two, right? There's the healing of a guy who's paralyzed for eight years, Aeneas, and then there's the, the raising of Dorcas from the dead, resurrection. And some of you, again, are like, yeah, whatever, okay, I'm tuning out, I'm done now. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss what God's doing. We're going to get to why the miracles don't always happen all the time. But God wants you to hear, and you're going to hear, that miracles do happen. And he wants us to walk as those who believe that. So let's, let's dive in here a little bit. Miracles are a means of mission. You have to realize that one of the reasons why miracles don't happen all the time is because the purpose of the miracle, please hear this, is not simply to heal someone of a physical ailment. God, in sending Jesus to do these miracles, God is caring for people. There's no two ways about it. He loves us and he wants us to be whole. But if all God did was do miracles in this world for this moment in time, it would be cruel punishment. Listen, Lazarus, who was raised by Jesus from the dead, what happened to him about 20 years after he was raised from the dead? He died again. He died again. Who wants to die twice? Let me see hands. The purpose of miracles, even the most radical ones, are, it's always been bigger. The telos is the Greek word. The end, the design has always been bigger than simply your pain in this moment. God is doing something bigger. Are you willing to give him the space to show you? Because when you are and when you do, the word is surrender, everything changes, friends everything. Miracles are signs of the kingdom, signs that the king has come, signs that this new world is breaking into this old world, and that there is this H word now, hope. You see all throughout the scriptures, however, and especially even in Jesus's time and thereafter, that there are merciful no's all the time. God's constantly giving a no. For instance, when the disciples are trying to cast out a demon from this little boy, this demon is, is, is destroying his life, is throwing him into the fire, is, is giving him seizures of all, all kinds, and it says the disciples couldn't cast him out. And what was the bigger purpose there? They needed to learn about intimacy. Jesus says this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. What is he getting at there? He wasn't saying you need to go fast and pray and then this demon will come out because Jesus neither fasts nor prays but casts the demon out. He's saying this kind comes out through intimate authority. When you fast and pray, you grow in your intimacy and intimacy is the means of expanding your authority. This kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. A gracious no for a better yes. What about 1 Timothy? Paul is the guy that's going all over the New Testament healing people, planting churches, right? And his main dude, his number one disciple is Timothy. And Timothy has stomach issues. Any of you know what that's like? And guess what Paul can't do? 
can't heal Timothy. He says to Timothy, take some wine to settle your stomach. That'll help you. Well, if Paul's the miracle dude and miracles just happened all the time, then he'd just be able to, boom, you're, you're healed and you're done. But that's not what we see happen. And part of the reason for that is Timothy needed to learn dependence because Timothy was serving as pastor at the church in Ephesus. And do you remember what happens to the church in Ephesus? We have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. Timothy would need to hold fast to one love above all others because his elders were about to betray him. His church was about to go the wrong direction. A gracious no for a better yes. What about Paul himself? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn from me, he says. But the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. I hate that verse. (laughs) Can we just be honest? Who likes that? Who likes that it works that way? Not me, but can I tell you, if it worked my way, you'd all be in big trouble. When my power is made perfect in my power, everyone around me suffers. When his power is made perfect in my weakness, everyone around me is blessed. It is not about me. It is about him. Because it's about him, I'm blessed. Do you see the way his world has always worked? This book is not about Will Reinmuth. It is about Jesus. But because it's about Jesus, my story is found in his story. And I am blessed. And so can you be. The bigger purpose is what this telos is all about. The merciful no to give the better yes. Where is that happening in your life, friends? I'll give you an example in my life of where that's happened in the recent years. In 2016, I was involved in a major car accident on the thruway where I have a traumatic brain injury where the white matter burst into the gray matter in two spots in my head where I, had, I was out of commission for about two months because of daily migraines. I couldn't think. I was told to sit in the dark and to not think about anything so my brain would stop swelling so that it could begin to heal And then they said, hey, we've done everything we know how to do because we know very little about the brain. So choose some sort of crazy workout to do so the blood flow can can actually happen in your brain. Um, And then just keep your brain reading and doing brain games and all that sort of stuff. But your memory will probably never come back. Soft tissue damage up and down my spine. Neuropathy down both of my arms. Pain all the time. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. My memory has not come back. There are large chunks of my childhood I do not remember. I'll sit here and be talking with Winslow and not remember his name. And you have to come up with ways to get around that. Right? It's just the reality of where I'm at. My pain, by God's grace, has dissipated some, but it's still there. And I'm like, Lord, chronic pain? Can you please send it to hell? And he says, yes, that day is coming. But until it does, I want you to have eyes to see those who also suffer. So there's empathy. 
empathy, which is the heart of God. Therefore, I boast all the more in my weakness, for there the power of Christ rests upon me. For where I am weak, there I am strong. Where is that happening in your life, friends? Where is God challenging you to make room for his better yes? What we need to see in our passage for this morning, however, is not just that sometimes miracles don't happen, but sometimes miracles do happen. This dude, who was literally paralyzed for eight years, gets raised up. He's no longer paralyzed. If you've been lying in bed for eight years, what's the word that best describes you? Hopeless. Maybe angry. Bitter. Some of you in here this morning have had situations in your life for the last eight plus years that you're very angry about. And I want you to know that God sees you, that your story's right here. If that's you, please keep listening because there's a word he has for you this morning. You see, Aeneas is paralyzed for eight years, and that eight years is not a random number. The number eight in Scripture represents something, and that's new life. When you were given a son in ancient Israel, you were to have him circumcised on the eighth day. There's all sorts of biological reasons for that because we have a loving, wise father. But the bigger theological reason for that is it's to represent new life. How do I know that? Well, because on the very day that Jesus was chosen to be the lamb to sacrifice, we call that Palm Sunday. Eight days after that, we call that Easter. The day when Jesus rose from the grave. The day that the Apostle Paul points to and says, when Jesus conquered the grave, that's when he did the real work of circumcision. Not to some organ for reproduction, but to your heart. When he cut out sin, when he cut out death, when he cut out infection, to make you new. And then, on the eighth day, after seven weeks, which the ancient Israel called the year of jubilee in years, but in weeks it was the eighth day after seven weeks is the 50th day. What happened on the eighth day after seven weeks after Easter? We call it what? Pentecost. The day God poured out his spirit on his church. Now listen, some of you are getting lost in the details and you're just like, I have no idea what this dude's talking about right now. It's okay. I just want you to hear this point. God's working a new creation work in what he's doing in our passage, that Aeneas was not just paralyzed for eight years, and that's random, but that there was something happening in this story called the mission of the Spirit, because for seven years, Aeneas and his whole family prayed, and God's answer was? No. No. And for seven years, they wondered why. And for seven years, they were mad. 
And for seven years, they wrestled with anger. And for seven years, they were disappointed. And for seven years, they struggled. And for seven years, he had to have someone bathe him and and, and help him go to the bathroom and feed him because he couldn't do any of that stuff himself for seven years so that at just the right time, God could say a better yes. And that better yes was bigger than Aeneas because it was at just the right time that all of a sudden, all of the residents around him in his city and the surrounding cities, saw and heard what Jesus did. And what's the word? They all turned to Jesus. Do you see the bigger picture mission? It's not that God's okay with our suffering. He's not. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that for us. He didn't make that for us. But God uses our suffering in our broken world to put pieces together that we just don't see in the moment. And so we always have a choice. I'm either going to judge God by what I see and therefore be God, take his place. Here's what I see. It's the only thing that's possible and you're guilty. Or I'm going to judge my circumstances by the character of God, by the promises of God, by the faithfulness of God, and say, even though I can't see for seven years a reason to hope, I will hope in you. Because as I hope in you, this day is coming. The eighth year is coming. Even when it comes to death itself, it's the same story. Where Peter is then brought to Joppa because Tabitha, which her name literally means gazelle. And you get this picture of this woman who's going all over the place all the time. She's the super helper one, right? She's the Martha of her time. She's doing everything for everyone, and everyone loved her. That's the picture in the passage. She's the kind of person that when she leaves the earth, everyone in her sphere suffers and mourns, and that's what you see. When they bring Peter, you have these widows that are showing all the garments that Tabitha made for, her, for, the, for them. Look at what a wonderful servant she was. Look at how she cared for us. Look at all the concrete evidence of why we need her here. And yet, the entire time she was sick, and even up to, up to including and after her death, God's answer to their prayers was, no. No. Until the right time. And I want you to see that the right time is full of the very stuff that you and I right now are struggling with. I love how when Peter gets there, he takes, pushes everyone out of the room. If someone said to me, hey, pastor, I want you to come because my loved one just died and I want you to pray for them to rise from the dead, I'd be like, okay, right? Like, like who, who's done this before, right? That's Peter, Peter's never done this before. He's never, he's seen it happen. He's never done this before. And so he gets everyone out of the room. He's a human being. And then he kneels down and prays. You know how we've been talking a lot about listening to God, discerning his voice, trying to hear his heart so that our hearts resonate with his, so we walk in his will? Because when we walk in his will, mountains move and the dead raise. So he prays, and he must have heard from Jesus, yes. And I wonder if Jesus said this. Remember what you saw me do, and then do it. In Mark chapter 5, there's a little girl, 12 years old, who dies. And they send for Jesus, and Jesus comes. Listen, he sends everyone out of the room. 
brings the parents in. And then he says these words, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. What's this woman's name? Tabitha kumi. Tabitha, arise. What a weird coincidence. Or the heart and plan of God to care for Peter, to give him confidence to grow. He's not the apostle Peter. He has no idea what he's doing. And God is ministering to him and caring for him and directing him every step of the way. I don't know about you, but I need to hear stories like this. I need to read them in the Bible because I'm tempted to read the Bible as if it's a bunch of people that literally walk around with halos and know all this stuff and have done all this stuff and they're comfortable with all this stuff and they're not. They're humans just like us with an amazing God who does amazing things. Talitha kumi, a better yes. Why? Because it cared for Peter, but because all of those throughout that city also believed. Are you starting to get it, friends? Are you starting to see the bigger yes that God has in mind when he does things like he did in Mozambique? I want, I want you to see these two books. I brought them up here for a reason. Craig Keener wrote these books. They're called Miracles, where he's done a ton of research, medically and otherwise, getting eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts of miracles over the last 100 years or so. 10,000 of them. 10,000 of them, including many resurrections. We think this doesn't happen in our day because we're too smart for that. Hmm. Are we too smart or are we too afraid to believe in a God who, if he can do that, deserves our all? Are we going to see our circumstances through the lens of his goodness and glory. That's the invitation, friends. In Mozambique, 53 reported resurrections by Heidi and Roland Baker in 2007. Do you imagine what that number is now? Way higher. In the Philippines in 2009, the story in this book of a wife who dies in the arms of her husband and her husband's crying out, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. They call the doctor, the doctor comes. It's minutes later, she's already completely dead. She has emptied her body of all of her fluids. She is ashen in the face. She is gone. And he starts doing CPR to no avail. And it's not until he starts crying out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I call you to rise. In Jesus' name, Talitha Kumi. And she gets up and lives. There are story after story after story of God doing crazy, amazing miracles. But I want you to see this doctor who reports this. You know what he's doing right now? Planting churches. You know why? Because he came face to face with a God who was very real. And it showed him that even though he's been given this gift as a medical doctor to use it, the great physician is the one who can even raise the dead. Amen. That's our Jesus, friends. Let me share a story with you. Some of you know, many of you don't, because it's happened many years ago, of healing that happened here at All Souls. This little guy right here is my firstborn son, Liam. 
And in 2013, Liam was diagnosed with Lyme disease that went undetected for about six months because our doctor refused to give him a Lyme test. It got so bad that Liam, we get called from the nurse to come pick up our son because he couldn't walk. At one point, Liam said, Dad, I, I can't think anymore. Stuff I used to know, I don't feel like I know anymore. The Lyme had broken in to the brain. We had done the whole round of antibiotics that they tell you to do that's standard, and then after that, they tell you to reclassify. It must not be Lyme because there's no such thing as chronic Lyme, which is a lie. We get to the end of that, and God has us preaching through 1 Samuel at the time. And after Liam is done with his antibiotics, we're really hoping, God, please help this to work. The very next week, he has a herxing episode, which means Lyme comes in cycles, basically every three to four weeks. And he has another cycle, and we have to pick him up because he can't walk. And we were undone. And that week, God had us preaching in 1 Samuel chapter 22, which is David in the cave of Adullam. It's David, after he's been anointed king, after he's defeated Goliath, after he's received all these promises of God, and now he's running for his life from King Saul. And he runs to this cave, and he's all by himself, and it says that God sent him everyone who was bitter in soul and hopeless. 400 men who would later become David's mighty men. But it's in that cave that David learned an incredibly important lesson. That his suffering, that everything he thought he was losing, that there was a bigger yes to the current no. That God's no, this suffering, this pain that he's enduring, this sense of hopelessness, there is a bigger purpose to it. And can I tell you, that week, I had a heart-to-heart with my brother, who is not a believer, and it was the first time I was sharing with him about Liam's Lyme disease. Shows you how not close our relationship was at the time. And he got angry. He said, you're on God's side. How is God letting this happen to Liam? And I remember saying to him, God does not promise me my son's life. He promises to be with me no matter what. Amen. That cave was God's cave. That Lyme disease was God's Lyme disease. And can I tell you the short version here? Because of Liam's suffering and his Lyme disease, my brother came to know Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now he is one of my best friends in the whole world. He watches us every week. He prays for you. He cares for this place, and he cares for our family. And I am so proud of you, Mike. This is what God does. The gracious no, the merciful no, when we don't even see why it's gracious or merciful, for the much better yes. We see this most clearly in Jesus' life, where Jesus went around, he healed a whole bunch of people, but not everyone. 
He delivered a whole bunch of people, but not everyone. He resurrected three people, and therefore clearly not everyone. Not his dad, not John the Baptist, not people that he cared for. Why? Because the issue is the goal, the telos, the purpose of Jesus' whole mission. It's not simply to take away our pain for this moment in time. It is to bring an entirely new world into this one to take its place. That world he calls his kingdom. That world he calls renewal, making all things new. Think about that for just a second. Do you really want him to just put a Band-Aid on your pain, or do you want a world where pain doesn't exist? I don't want to live forever in a world that's full of pain and sorrow. I don't want to hear your stories about it. I don't want to share mine. I want us to rejoice forever in a world where only life to the fullest happens. Where crying and weeping and mourning don't exist. And that's exactly what Jesus came to die and bring for us. For you see, the merciful no was given to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cries out to his father three times, Take this cup from me. And God's answers to him again and again and again is no. It's no. Why? Because only by going to the cross, dying and going into the grave, could Jesus be the one to get the keys. The keys to death and Hades, which is what he declares in Revelation. I have the keys to death itself. Do not fear. When the one who is for you holds the keys to your jail cell, even when that jail cell is the grave, where, O oh, grave, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? It has been swallowed up in the cross of Christ, and we shall live and reign with him forever, friends. Thanks be to God. That is the truest hope there is. It's the only hope there is in the face of death. And so as we get older and as we face death, can I encourage you, friends, or as disease breaks in or as accidents happen, can I encourage you, friends, there is one who has already won for you. There is one who holds the keys and who welcomes you just as you are. There is no fear with him. There is no set of things you need to get right with him first. There's no list of, hey, do these things and then you'll be ready. You're ready today. You're ready right now. And that's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus has for you, friends, is life without end. Life to the fullest. Our third and last point, and this is a quick one. What miracle is God doing in your life? I want to tell you another story. Some of you have read this book before. I keep putting it in front of you. If you've not read Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you to get it on Audible and listen. Let the author read it to you. You will not be disappointed. It is one of the best books I've ever read. I've read it three times and you feel the heart of God as you read this book. Please get it and read it. In this book, Jack Deere tells the story of learning how to believe in the God who works miracles and of how God pushes him and presses him. And one of the things he shares about is his son who was a meth addict. 
who took a gun and blew his own head off. And he says that when he was there holding his son's shattered head in his hands and praying for God to raise him from the dead, God's answer was no. Now, friends, I know that hits home for some of you in, in ways I can't even imagine. And if you're like, wow, I can't believe we're talking about this, please know God sees you and that's why you're here. Because you've been holding on to stuff that he wants you to let go of. This is a dad who had to watch his son go through this. But can I tell you, if God had answered his prayer and this son was brought back just as he is, would that be a blessing? Would that be loving to his son to have to live in this horrible addiction to meth? To live in a way that is clearly he was... He was despairing of life? Or was it a grace of God to answer Jack's prayer, no? Now listen, in this story, he doesn't just, in this book rather, he doesn't just tell this story to share about his son. He says years later, he's getting his gun ready to go to a a men's outing at his church. He needs to get it cleaned. And as he's going to the local gun shop, he has a, a sense He's feeling from God that he's supposed to go to a, a, another gun shop that's a little further away. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to go closer. And he just can't get rid of it, so he goes to the one that's further away. And he goes to the guy at the counter, and he says, hey, listen, I'm a pastor at this church. We're having a men's outing. I need this back in a week. Can you do that for me? And the young man behind the desk says, you're a pastor? Can I talk to you for a minute? And they go out back. And he says, do you know anything about drugs? Turns out this young man was a meth addict and was so afraid to tell his parents. He needed some encouragement. So Jack was there not only to give him encouragement, but to welcome him into his church. And this young man became a believer in Jesus and turned his life around because of this episode. Is it okay that there's meth in this world? No. Is it okay that there's suicide in this world? No. But the God who reigns, who is good, can use meth and suicide to bring another one into the kingdom. There's a bigger telos to all of our pain, a very gracious no for a much better yes. Are you seeing it? Are you hearing him? Because, friends, we're about to enter into a season together called Lent. And that season is 40 days because it's us entering into Jesus' wilderness time, 40 days, where we get to sit in the know, where we get to take a good, hard look at those areas of our lives that aren't adding up that don't feel good, where we know we're still struggling. And we get to sit with the merciful one and let him come and invite us in to deeper intimacy, to expanded authority, and even maybe to clarity about his better yes. The invitation for you is to come join us in that this Wednesday at the Ash Wednesday service, to get on our website and sign up for our fasting and prayer time. But friends, those are just two two ways as a whole body we're doing it. 
the invitation for you right now is to listen. This is what I want to do, is just take a couple minutes right now for us to listen, to make space for God. Because for some of you, you've already come up with maybe even a handful of ways where there has been a very merciful no that maybe you don't even see the reason. You don't see the mercy. All you see is the no. And maybe for some of you, you're very bitter about that. Maybe for some of you, you're just sad about it. And you're wondering, do do I have to live like this my whole life? This morning, Jesus has you here because he wants to do a work of healing in your heart. But the only way that's going to happen, friends, is if we surrender to him. If we say to him, okay, I, I know I've been judging you by what I see and feel and want. Forgive me, Lord. What I realize even this morning freshly is you're the one I need. Your future is the one that I actually want. The life you alone can give is the one that I know I've been made for. Something has resonated with my soul in a way different than ever before. If that's you, friends, he's welcoming you. He's welcoming you to give your life to him for the first time or in a deeper way. Here it is, Lord. Are you willing to give him space to show you his better yes? I'm going to invite our praise team to come on, come on up and to just play a little behind this time. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm just going to stand here and let there be some silence for you to listen to what the Lord is doing in your heart. Sometimes we, we go from sermon to song, and maybe sometimes we miss the opportunity to let God apply his word to our hearts. So we just move past it. Let's take a moment just to sit in it. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we, we're so thankful that you're the God who sees us where we're at, who meets us right where we're at, who loves us, Lord. We praise you, Jesus, that you are the one who sees our tomorrow, who, who knows us today, and who's got a plan that's far bigger than anything we can see or even try to comprehend. And so, Lord, this moment, what we're doing is we're just giving you permission, not that you need it, you're God, but we're giving you permission because you want it. You want relationship. And so here we are giving you access to our hearts saying, have your way, Lord. Would you show us very clearly, even now, the places where we have held on to bitterness and anger or sadness or disappointment? Would you bring us back to specific memories, Lord, that have shaped our lives forever and we thought we had to live feeling this way? thinking this way and that's a lie and Jesus would you bring healing into those very places show us your face Lord Jesus come Holy Spirit
that so often we live our lives looking for the big miracles and we miss the little ones. Like the air you've given us to breathe, the family you've given us to love, the friends that we have, the health that we are given. Thank you for all of these things. But also thank you, Lord, for the little miracles of healing. Those who are sick no longer being sick. Those who had body aches no longer having those body aches. And thank you for the bigger miracles, Lord, like what's going on at Asbury University right now. Like what's going on in this place, your church right now. Thank you for your presence. For Lord, when you draw near, the darkness flees, light and life reign. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that right now, in your presence, that you would work miracles. You would speak words of life and love to those places that only you know, so that we'll know it's you. That you bring healing, Lord, to, to areas, relationships, body aches and pains. Healing, Lord, where it needs to happen. That you bring deliverance, Lord God, in the places where we're stuck the places where we're believing lies, and the places where we're under attack and don't even realize it. Bring freedom, Lord Jesus. And I pray in this place, Lord God, this morning, that you bring hope. Let your spirit flow. Let your spirit pour out, Lord Jesus, that we would taste and see your love. doing a much bigger work than anything we could ask or imagine according to the Holy Spirit who has already been poured out into our hearts. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Would you receive our worship now? as a fragrant offering of us just trying to communicate that we're so grateful that you came to get us, that you love us, Lord, that we get to love you back and to share that love with everyone who comes in our path. We glorify your name. We honor you. Hear our praise. <laughs>